Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on, uh, we are going to talk about real estate agents who go to great lengths to gift their clients. They give things. It's not enough just to sell a house anymore. You actually have to uh, entice people with very expensive gifts. We'll get to that. We'll get to the ethics of that in just a little while. And we'll do that with my guests. We have Sarah Rotella here. She is the director and producer for a film called Nobody Famous. Sarah, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on the movie. Thank you. Yeah, it opens uh, on May 25th. Uh, it'll be available on digital platforms on May 29th. And, you know, it's uh, I've seen the film. It's a really cool story that starts off, I thought, about some of the most thin-skinned, superficial people in the world. And then become something else in the last half hour. And I don't want to say what it becomes. Mm -hmm. That's up to you, whether you want to give that away or not. But we'll talk about that in just a little while. Uh, we also have comedian Kyle Bottom here. Uh, Kyle's new comedy record, Dungeon Master, is available on uh, 604 Records. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we, people don't, because this will be heard at various times all over the country. People don't know. It's early when we're taping this. And thank you for getting up and where you playing somewhere last night? Uh, yeah, I had a show last night, so uh, it was an early morning, but it was worth it for you. Boom. Right back at you. Thanks for being here. And Maya Gallus is here, director of The Heat. This is a documentary uh, all about uh, kitchens, restaurants, and the women that work in them. And it's a fascinating documentary. I spent a lot of time working in restaurants and, and bars mainly. And uh, this movie gets... Uh, under the skin of what it's like to be sort of in the middle of that from a perspective that I certainly had never uh, experienced from a female perspective. And it does a really lovely job of showing the challenges, but also the triumphs of, of what it is uh, to be a woman working in a field that is very much dominated by men. Yes. Yeah, actually, that's a great uh, synopsis that you've given there, Richard. <laughs> well, it's what I do. <laughs> we'll get to all that. We're going we're gonna to get to the bottom of uh, all of these sort of uh, films and comedy records and all that stuff. But I want to throw a few topics at you first, and, and then we'll move on from there. So real estate agents, has anyone here sold a house recently or bought a house recently? People uh, are shaking no. their heads. No, we are, we are artists. <laughs> well... Perhaps I'll skip on to the next one. Then. No, but but I just think uh, so. I had not really heard of this, but uh, every time uh, that you know high end kind of uh, realtors uh, helps a client close in a home, uh, he these people will spend some money of their own, and they'll do things like uh, you know take their clients on trips to hockey games. Uh, you know they'll uh, they'll buy champagne. They'll do all sorts of things from them. I think instead of doing that, just lower your commissions and make it more affordable for everyone, including artists, to buy their own <laughs> homes. Uh, Maya, what do you think? Totally, totally with you on that one. I think there's way too much money being um, thrown around in real estate, and the people who are buying the houses are not the ones who are benefiting. Yeah, absolutely, Kyle. Um, I don't think you're going to convince real estate agents to lower their commission. That's <laughs> It's a money game, right? They're all about it. Yeah, yeah. And for you, Sarah? Forever renter. <laughs> a forever renter. Well, see, I loved it. I rented for forever. And then, you know, uh, it, it's been a while now, but I bought a place finally. Uh, and and I never wanted to buy one. And I'm, I'm happy that I did. I'm happy that it was, I mean, it's been 
15 years now, probably. And I'm, and I'm happy that I bought the place, but I was a forever renter. I thought when that fridge breaks, all you got to do is make a phone call and the fridge gets fixed yeah. magically. You don't have to worry about stuff. Is that it for you? Definitely. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of my beefs about the whole real estate boom that's happening in the city is that we're being overrun by condos. And I just learned a new term, which probably everybody else has already heard, uh, which is when people have to move out because of a condo, they're condo evicted. Oh. <laughs> I've not heard that. But, uh, but there are. I mean, where I live right now, my view from having bought the place that I'm in currently now, about six years ago, my view has completely changed. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There is nothing about it. Uh, that if I if I had taken a picture six or seven years ago when I moved in, it looks completely different now. It's crazy. Yeah, just different buildings popped up in yeah. front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not just in Toronto. It's all across mm -hmm. the country. Uh, so it's uh, kind of a, a, a wild thing. Um, horror movies. Do we like horror movies? Yeah. You've made a bit of a horror movie, I, Sarah. Like, in a way, there's yeah. a Hitchcockian feel to yours. I think anytime it starts to go towards being like a thriller mm -hmm. or more of a genre movie, it kind of breaks it up with a joke. Yeah, it does. Your yeah. film does. Nobody Famous does. Absolutely. Um, but there is, uh, there is one scene in it, and I'm pausing for a second <laughs> because I don't want to give it that is kind of horrifying. Yeah. And, and, and it's horrifying because of inaction. That's what I'll say about Definitely, it. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So there's a bit of a thing. Anyway, so horror films... Uh, uh, shouldn't really be the thing. I mean, you know, why would you pay to go get scared? But they are a billion-dollar business now. And I'm just wondering if anyone on the panel, if you like horror films, and if so, why? Well, I find even films that aren't that scary to be pretty scary. Like, I thought Shaun of the Dead was scary. Right. And that's definitely, like, more of a comedy film. But, like, at the towards the end when that guy gets pulled out the window by the zombies and they're, like, ripping his stomach open, it just scared me. It scared me bad. <laughs> You're like, I don't want that from myself. Yeah. And Maya, do you go to, do you patronize horror films? I'm not a big fan because they really get under my skin and they right. freak me out. But particularly psychological horror like Roman Polanski mm -hmm. and those kinds of films. There's like Repulsion ones. and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I did see Repulsion, but I didn't see The Tenant, mm -hmm. especially right. because I was a renter at the time. <laughs> and it just, so that kind of paranoia really sticks with me. I did see Get Out. I yeah. thought it was really smart. And, and, I, and, and you know, interestingly enough, horror, the horror genre is where more women as filmmakers are making inroads. There's a film opening this weekend called Revenge. And revenge is as down and dirty and bloody and gory uh, a revenge film about a woman who gets revenge on some men that did terrible things to her, uh, as you're going to find. But it was directed by a woman, and it feels different. There's something about it that that doesn't feel like uh, a, a Tarantino revenge film. It doesn't feel like Kill Bill. It doesn't feel like uh, uh, the exploitation films that came before it. It feels... Um, I guess part of it is that the male gaze is virtually completely absent from it mm. and replaced with gallons of blood. Maybe that's <laughs> it. I don't know. Well, and that's a very female experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that there's something about going to horror films that is uh, you're paying to go be scared, to get that adrenaline brush, rush in a place where you feel safe, though. You go to the movies, you're surrounded by people, nothing terrible is going to happen, but you like that little kind of, it's like watching a, a football game or a hockey game or something and getting that little rush that goes along with it. That's what I've always associated it with. Not so much just the horror or the gore or the bloodiness of it all. 
Well, isn't it sort of like when people uh, also go to the fair for the roller coaster? Yeah, which like, I do not do. Yeah, <laughs> I do not do. I, I, I once took the whatever it was at the time, the world's biggest stand-up roller coaster, and and I was completely silent. I went up to the top, and, and, and the person who was strapped in next to me said, you didn't scream. You didn't make a sound. It was it, it, nothing. You didn't react at all, except that when we got off and got out, all I said was, Oh my God. And that was it. That was it. There was nothing more. I was, I was literally struck speechless. I kind of want to see you do some interviews like on a roller coaster. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not sure that those would be great. I'm not going to lie. Wouldn't be a lot of talking. There would not be a lot of talking. Uh, does anybody watch The Bachelor? Uh, I watched some of the last season. Right. My wife's into it, so yeah. I watched some of it. Do you watch The Bachelor? My mom has seen every single episode. Really? Yes. Like of all, like across every season? Like as long as I can remember. Really? From when the show started. And Maya? I I've seen it years ago. I, I it's not my thing. Well, th- well, here's the thing. I think that it's becoming less of a thing now. Sarah, your mom may disagree mm-hmm. because she's a fan. What is it that she likes about it? And I'm not judging. No, there's no judgment in that (laughs) question. I'm just saying, what is it that she likes about it? I think she's still one of the people that maybe believes they're actually falling in love. I'm not totally (laughs) sure. (laughs) She just likes the process, the drama of it. Yeah, yeah. The new season where the girl he chose got dumped in the last episode. Yeah, really into that. Because it looks now. Like, people might be sort of turning on that. Now, it's still a huge show. People are going to uh, tune in. But there's more and more people saying, you know what? I, I, I don't think that we need to set up this kind of, like, gladiatorial arena for people to fall in love in. And, and is this something that, you know, is entertainment? My, would you? I mean, you've seen it once, twice. What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, it's very lowest common denominator entertainment. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Nope. But uh, it's just, it's, for me, I, I understand maybe people have some kind of a vicarious yearning when they're watching a show like that. Yep. But I find it, on, on some levels, actually really offensive. I mean, the premise that these women are fighting for this man, and that's one of the problems that we're constantly being inundated with is, you know, and that's supposed to be entertaining and funny and, you know, like Bridezilla and those right. other shows. Well, too. as uh, Christy XX Lee on Twitter says, it literally pits women against each other for a dude. And yeah. that's something that I think people are having, uh, the, the, the slow realization is, it's like, oh, it's kind of funny, I guess. But then you realize, oh, I don't know if it's uh, forwarding any, any good positive messages. Well, it's really shady to watch, like, because you get to see it from the outside perspective. Right. And you get to see this guy, like, tell all these different women that he loves them. And, it's and like, make out with them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, it, it just feels really dishonest. Uh, also, little Jackie Paper on uh, Twitter says, the fact that people still care about what is happening on The Bachelor in the year of Me Too is only further proof that we're living in a nonsensical postmodern hellscape. <laughs> that may overstate things a little bit. I'm not sure. When we come back, I'm going to continue the conversation with my guests. We're going to talk to Sarah Rotella about her film, Nobody Famous. Uh, we'll tell you where you can see it. It opens on May 25th and then it hits digital platforms on May 29th. We'll talk about Kyle Bottoms' new comedy uh, CD called Dungeon Master. We'll talk about a live streaming event that he's got coming up. And then we'll talk about the heat. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, uh, very 
Uh, probably a lot of scenes in the heat will bring back a lot of memories, particularly, I think, if you were a woman working in a kitchen, because in all the years that I worked in restaurants, only one restaurant had any significant female presence. Uh, and it was interesting because it felt different from every other kitchen I had ever uh, worked in in a restaurant. We'll get to all that when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about charging for restaurant reservations. So you call, you say, I've got six people coming. I need a, a table at eight o'clock. If all six people don't show up, should you be charged for the one or two people that don't show up or all six of them, if all six don't show up? We'll get to that a little bit later on. We'll do that with my guest, Sarah Rotella. She is the director of Nobody Famous. This is a comedy about some actors that has a Hitchcockian twist. There, I've said it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's about a group of friends who are aspiring actors that go to a cottage for a long weekend. I, I would say they're sort of kind of friends. Sort of kind of friends. Yeah, they are, uh, <laughs> e well, driven by ego, mm -hmm. certainly. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, because um, one of their friend, friends books this life-changing blockbuster role and their jealousy, you really see the cracks mm -hmm. in their relationships. And that's kind of what shows you, well, maybe they're not actually friends. Exactly. And we'll, we'll talk all about Nobody Famous in, in just a little while. Kyle Bottom is here. Uh, his CD, Dungeon Master, is available right now. Also, Kyle, you have a live streaming event on May 15th. I do. People <laughs> everywhere can see it across the country. Yeah, we're streaming from 604 Records in uh, Vancouver. And yep. it's a game show called Mace Tries Food. Uh, Mace Galoni is the... He's a comedian from Hamilton, and right. he lives in Vancouver now, and he doesn't have a good palate for food, <laughs> so we're just going to make him try some weird foods. So the, like the, the, the grosser and weirder, the better? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll be tuning in, yeah. or streaming in, whatever you call it. And Maya Gallus is here. We'll talk all about that in just a little while. Maya Gallus is here. Uh, her film is called The Heat. Uh, this is a documentary. We've talked about it uh, a little bit, uh, about women working in kitchens. Amanda Cohen, a Canadian who's been in... Uh, New York City cooking for 15 or more years now. She has uh, an all-vegetarian restaurant called Dirt Candy uh, there that makes Brussels sprout hot dogs, which I have not yet tried, but really want to because apparently they're amazing. Um, she's uh, one of the, the uh, chefs uh, featured in this film. And as I was saying to just before the break, I worked in a lot of restaurants and in only one instance was there a significant female presence, and by that I mean 95%. The chef was a, a woman, and then all the other cooks and sous chefs and everything were women, except for one man who worked in the, in the kitchen. And it was remarkably different from all the other kitchens I'd worked in, which tended to be dominated by men. Uh, there was uh, fewer uh, incidences of things being thrown, a little bit less yelling, uh, but more than that, it just felt different. Mm -hmm. And what did you find when you were uh, shooting this film? I found that very much to be the case, that I was following uh, seven different women chefs mm -hmm. uh, in different cities from Toronto and to too. Yeah. New York, London, and France, and from more grassroots to haute cuisine. And the kitchens were, were very quiet. But more importantly, there was just a very different atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not something that one can always pinpoint, but you're absolutely right. It feels different. And I, too, worked in restaurants. I never worked in kitchens. I worked as a waitress, which yeah. had been the subject of an earlier film I made called Dish, yeah, about yeah. women in the service industry, which is actually what prompted my interest in this film. And uh, I really 
uh, never, I, I didn't experience at the time when I was a server, I didn't see a lot of female chefs. And, and then as I did research, I found, well, there actually are female chefs, but nobody talks about them, nobody writes about them, because right. they're not usually running the big restaurants. And that's what gets the hype. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a handful of names. I mean, like Alex Guarnaschelli. Uh, yeah. there's, I mean, there's a few names that I could come up with off the top of my head. But, you know, typically speaking, you think of, you know, Bobby Flay, Mario Batali, you know, Emerald, people, names mm-hmm. like that are probably the, the superstars. Gordon Ramsay, Gordon Ramsay. Jamie yeah. Oliver. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And what were the differences? Because I, I, what I loved uh, was that there is a, a similarity in the sense that there tends to be a little bit more serenity in these kitchens than, than certainly things that I had seen. But well, like not, Amanda, not in Cohen, Amanda Cohen's kitchen. No, I was going to say Amanda Cohen is is not like she is kind of the uh, the the one that breaks the rule a little bit, but but still it seemed controlled. There's a, a thing called a brigade system, which I guess people have to kind of understand before you can really understand how a kitchen like this works. And essentially, the brigade system is kind of a militaristic system that kitchens have. And if your chef tells you to do something, even if you think it's wrong, you do it. That's right. It's there a, just, there's a hierarchy. Yeah. yeah. And Amanda seems to uh, have embraced that in kind of a big way. Well, well, I think they actually all have. All I mean, do, yeah. you do see in the heat. You see that. Um, you see uh, some scenes where Dirk Candy in New York is slammed, yeah. and Amanda is, you know, like, I need this now. Yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, she makes it clear that you know, even though she does want precision mm-hmm. from her um, from her sous chef and the rest of her staff, who t- also, by the way, are very young, yep. she says at the same time she reminds them, it's just a job. I may yell at you in five minutes. It's over. She's not going to humiliate them. And I think that's a big difference that, um, and certainly not every male chef was into humiliating, but that was sort of the thing that was glorified with, you know. With Hell's Kitchen and things like that. That's what people think kitchens are like. And I mean, you know, maybe, maybe so, uh, uh, you know, in in some cases, but certainly I have seen chefs throw things and yell and, and, you know, be kind of generally unpleasant, (laughs) but, uh, but it, it, it isn't, the rule, I don't think. Well, also, you know, that was... It's just pressure. It's, it's pre- just pressure. It's pressure, but it was also that was the climate that was considered okay because right. there there was, there is still to a degree, but there was this uh, idea that, you know what? I earned my stripes. Yeah. I went through this. I had things thrown at me. Now it's my turn. Right, right. And the, the film is called The Heat, A Kitchen... Revolution. Evolution, yeah, revolution. The, the, the R is in parenthesis, so uh, it's evolution and revolution. Uh, and it's playing across the country. People will be able to see it in lots of different places. Where can they see it? Uh, well, it's, so we're starting a run in uh, Toronto on fr- this Friday, May 11th, at the Hot Dogs Floor Cinema. Yep. And then we're going to be hitting major cities across the country over the summer. Yeah, it, it really does give you an interesting look at the inside of something that you probably really don't know how it works. If you've never worked in a restaurant, your experience is going in and sitting down and ordering something and then, you know... 20 minutes later, it appears in front of you and uh, and you pay and leave. But there's a, an interesting and fascinating mechanism that gets it there. And I think that people will be really interested to see how it works and and that there is a, a, a revolution happening. And there really, it, it feels like, do you feel, is, do you feel hopeful? Oh, I feel very, I feel very hopeful, optimistic for sure, because already there are more women who are running kitchens yeah. and when they're uh, when they're heading a kitchen, they tend to then populate the kitchen with more women, you know, so everything changes as a result because really this is just about um, equity. 
When we come back, we'll continue the conversation uh, with Maya Gallus. The film is called The Heat. You can see it at, check your local listings. That's the thing. Check your local <laughs> listings constantly uh, for a listing near you, a theater near you. Uh, we'll also talk to Kyle Bottom about Dungeon Master, his new comedy CD, and Nobody Famous. We'll talk about that film with director Sarah Rotella. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have Sarah Rotella. She is the director and producer of Nobody Famous. Uh, that is in theaters uh, on May 29th. Then it'll start streaming. No, it's on in theaters on May 25th. Start streaming on May 29th. We'll tell you all about that shortly. Uh, we just heard about The Heat. Uh, that's Maya Gallus's new documentary. You're going to be able to see it coming soon to a theater near you, no matter where you are in the country. And it's a fascinating look at the inner workings of female-led kitchens. And uh, it's not only an interesting look at the, the uh, restaurant business, but having worked in kitchens, well, worked, I was a bartender for a million years, but I spent a lot of time in kitchens. Uh, it, it really made me kind of nostalgic for it. There's something about the pressure and the, the, the urgency of everything that happens in a kitchen because you don't need things now. You needed them two minutes ago, mm -hmm. always. It's the way it works. And it kind of is addictive. There's a bit of an adrenaline rush that comes with that. And you really get a feel for that in the heat. And it also, and I don't know if this pushes this too much, but it also feels a bit like a Me Too movie in, or, or, or very well-timed to, to sort of have a look at something that has been underexplored in a, in a time when people are, are thinking a little differently about things. Absolutely. I mean, the, the timing uh, really has, um, the timing has worked out in the yeah. sense that people really are interested in hearing about women's experiences, especially in a male-dominated environment. And, and certainly some of the women in the film do share stories of, mm -hmm. of being harassed and, and, and how they, the kind of obstacles and challenges that they had to meet that were specific to being a woman in a kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Kyle Bottom is here. His comedy CD, Dungeon Master, is available right now. Uh, congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. So... Do comedy CDs still matter? I mean, they they do because everyone's making them. Yeah, everyone's making them. But uh, you know, when I grew up, you bought George Carlin records and you had all that stuff. I I wasn't sure that people were still doing it on the internet. I thought just all that stuff was out there in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, it's um it's available on iTunes, but you can yep. also just stream it on Spotify. So yep. you don't actually have to buy the record to listen to it. You can just listen to it for free. You shouldn't tell people that. <laughs> No, but that's how the internet works. <laughs> and, and what led you to uh, to this? Is it all new material, or is it like a greatest hits of things that you've been doing for a while, or how does um, that work? Well, yeah, it's my first album, so it's basically just the greatest hits of right. like the jokes I've been telling for the last three, four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what kind of if people don't know your comedy style, what sort of things do you do? What what do you talk about? Um, it's all very autobiographical. I talk about my parents, talk about growing up, talk about my wife, my dog, all that sort of thing. Sort of observational yeah. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and when did you know that you wanted to be a comedian? Because there's two things, I think. There's that moment where you think, okay, well, I, I, I'd like to do this. And yeah. then there's a moment when you think, oh, I can do this. And they're yeah. two different things. Yeah, well, once you, it, this is true for anybody, but once you actually get up on stage and attempt stand-up comedy, you're either going to be scared away forever or you're going to be hooked for the rest of your life. So I was Dude, the hooked for life. Yeah, because there's a very different thing. I know I host a lot of events, and if uh, I'm in front of an audience and, and it's not going well, I can't wait to get the hell off the stage. Oh, yeah. But comics, though, will stay up and try and get a laugh. Yeah. That's the thing. If it's not going well, you'll just go, I'll try this one then. Yeah, you just keep digging that hole deeper. <laughs> 
And and when did you realize that you'd be able to to do it as a as a profession? Um, probably. I think I left my last like serious job in 2011. Wow. Yeah. And what? And and it was just a moment where you're like, I'm getting booked all the time. And things are going well. Yeah, bookings were good, and it was a. I was in, like working in a customer service job, and I just wasn't really feeling it anymore. Yeah. And it, I I realized that it was time to leave. So. Yeah. The my last restaurant job, which was 20 some odd years ago. Uh, I can't use the language that I used in that <laughs> moment, but when I realized that every time the door opened and I thought whoever walked through it was, you know. Yeah, the uh, worst person yeah, in the world. Yeah, I was like, it's probably time for me to leave now. Yeah. You know, I liked it for a long time, but it was probably time to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, you play at clubs across the country, You're you're and you're going to be in Vancouver doing a live streaming event on May 15th. Yeah. And tell us more about that. So. It's live streaming, so it's video. So we will actually get to see you feed terrible food to a friend of yours who doesn't like anything. Yeah. So Mace really likes uh, like chicken McNuggets and uh, like white bread. Like right. He doesn't really have much of a palate for anything. So, <laughs> and Vancouver has a great selection of food. So yeah, we're just gonna order like three different main courses and uh, one dessert, and we're just gonna feed it to him. And if he can, <laughs> if he can eat everything without getting nauseous or throwing up, then he gets a prize at the end, which is a trophy made out of his favorite food, uh, Reese peanut butter cups. Really? Yeah. And then does he have to eat that? No, no, he gets to take that home because he's already eaten like three meals at right, that point. Right, yeah. right. And you are uh, the self-proclaimed nerd king. I am the nerd king. And tell me about being the nerd king. What does that mean? I just love all things nerdy. Yeah. Yeah, I watch like professional video game tournaments all the time, um, play magic cards, play video games, Dungeons and Dragons. It's like everything. Nerd culture. Nerd culture. Yeah. That's you. And uh, that obviously informs your comedy as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The the album's named Dungeon Master because mm -hmm. I have a Dungeons and Dragons joke on the album. So right. that's where that comes from. And who comes to see your shows? Are you, you are the the self-proclaimed nerd king <laughs> yeah is your is, is is it a nerd audience that follows you your nerd minions um not really it's a pretty pretty broad uh uh cross-section of um society right yeah and 604 records yeah this is cool so 604 records was founded uh by one of the guys from nickelback yeah chad chad kruger honor yeah. be his name yeah um, yeah, and they, they're getting big into the comedy game. They, I think mine is the fifth comedy album they've produced. And what, I mean, we talked about this uh, earlier, but what is it, is comedy going through a renaissance now, or is it changing somehow? What's going on? It's definitely gaining in popularity because yeah. of YouTube, because of podcasting. Um, yeah, people are just more interested in stand-up now. Yeah. Because it's yeah. been around forever, but it's definitely picking up. Yeah, it, it feels like it to me, and it feels like it's changing. It feels like there's another, uh, a, another. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, you know, you had in the '90s, everything was like Jerry Seinfeld observational humor, and then it changed again in the '70s, it was sort of Monty Python esque sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now it feels like it's changing again, and maybe it's a little bit more unpredictable now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, let's uh, move on. To talking about restaurants and and uh, is charging for restaurant reservations a good idea? And so the idea is, if you make a reservation for six people and only three people show up, should you have to pay 
a certain amount, 20 bucks for each of those people that didn't show up because the restaurant is considers their table to be real estate and you're only using half of it and they saved it for you. So you should have to pay. Sarah, would you gladly fork over money if if your half your party didn't show up? No, I don't think so. And I think it would be really hard to get your friends who didn't show up yeah. to pay you back for that. Yeah. And have you ever worked in a restaurant? I haven't. See, man, now Maya, <laughs> you've worked in restaurants and you must have had, I mean, when you work in restaurants, it happens all the time. There are no shows. There are people that, skip you know. Skip out on the, people who skip out on the bill. Yeah, yeah. or people that, that have, uh, you know, party at 10 and only three people show up and they eat up, you know, a good chunk of the amount of money that you're going to be able to make in that night is is eaten up by those empty seats. So how do you feel about it? I think it really depends on the restaurant. I mean, I think the idea of charging for uh, a no-show tends to be more of a high-end restaurant, particularly yeah. a tasting menu where they have to prepare the food in advance. And that is totally valid to me because especially working on the heat, I really... Uh, discovered just how slim the profit margins are. Amanda with, with, Cohen says something yeah. in the movie that she she goes, my restaurant does really well. I make a hundred whatever the figure is, hundred eighty to two hundred thousand yeah, a, a, a month, and it costs me about one hundred eighty <laughs> to two hundred thousand dollars a month to keep the doors yeah. open. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually quite a startling revelation. And yeah. the other thing she says is that people have this misconception when they go to a restaurant, they think they're just paying for the food on mm -hmm. the plate, but they're actually essentially, as you said, renting yep. the table for that period. So. So, you know, it, it, to me, it's valid in the same way that, uh, you know, people pay advance for their plane tickets. Yep. They pay advance for other so-called uh, luxury items. And to me, going to a high-end restaurant is a luxury. So, you know, you need to be prepared to, as you say, fork that over. Uh, Kyle, we'll get your take on this when we come back from the break. We're out of time here. But you can find uh, Kyle Bottoms' record at, uh, it's called Dungeon Master on 604 Records. It's available on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, and all other major streaming services. A limited edition Dungeon Master collectible card done in the style of magic, The Gathering, will be available soon. Stay with us. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a tip in a cafe that ended up costing uh, a woman $7,700, and she can't get the money back. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Kraus. In studio, we have a varied panel. Kyle Bottom is here. Uh, you can find Dungeon Master, his new comedy CD, uh, on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon. And there's going to be a limited edition Dungeon Master collectible card done in the style of Magic the Gathering, available soon. Have you? Uh, are they out yet? No, these cards? They're printed, um, oh. but they're... People are holding on to them. Pam has some of them. Okay, right there. well, we'll, we'll, oh, there's, there, we're being shown that they're cool. They're interesting. I like them. Uh, keep your eye open for that. <laughs> Kyle Bottoms, uh, Magic Style Cards. And you're doing a live streaming event on May 15th. And how do people find the live streaming event? Um, You can just go to the 604records.com. Yep. Because it'll all be streamed through there. And it will be there. Uh, Maya Gallus is here. The Heat is her documentary about women working in the food industry, specifically as chefs and cooks in restaurants. Uh, it will be playing soon at a theater near you. Check your local listings. And, and also, it is going to be coming to TVO uh, for television and then CBC's Doc Channel. Great. You'll have lots of chances to see this. There's a new movie that's opening on uh, May 25th, and then you'll be able to stream it on May 29th called Nobody Famous. So Nobody Famous, uh, director 
uh, and producer uh, Sarah Rotella is here. And this is a, a story that if you've spent any time around actors, doesn't seem that far-fetched. <laughs> it no, is the story of some very thin-skinned people who go away at a little cottage, very nice cottage retreat for a weekend, but they all have scripts with them. They are all constantly checking their their phone for messages from their agents and that sort of thing. And you know, and and they're kind of snarky. And I loved. There's a couple of lines in the movie that made me laugh so much, and they're understated. Someone, one of them says, uh, "How does this hat look on me?" And they're like, mm, "It kind of makes your head look big," which mm-hmm. is the kind of thing you say to someone when you're trying to undermine their confidence a little mm-hmm. bit. And so there's a lot of that that goes on in this film. These the 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 dynamic between the actors is really kind of interesting. Tell me about creating that. Um, well, first I want to say that a lot of actors that have seen the film have come out of it saying like oh, I didn't realize that that's what I'm like, but but now that I've seen it. And I would say, of course you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And with the film, we really wanted to tell the story of how um, it's a little bit of like a microcosm of my generation, a millennial generation, and how sometimes it's so difficult to celebrate in each other's successes with our peers. and sometimes it's a positive when someone fails. Um, so that's really what we were going for with the story. And actors were kind of the best characters to tell that. <laughs> um, because with actors, you're all going out to the same auditions. You're sitting in a room waiting to go in and you're like surrounded by your friends. And, and surrounded by people that could have looked like you too. So yeah. if you go to these audition uh, uh, rooms, you'll see like... 15 people with slick back hair and glasses all going, that look like me, look going for the same part. So it's very easy to judge yourself and think negatively about, you know, maybe not getting a role, even right. though maybe it just wasn't, you know, right for just you. just wasn't in the cards yeah. for you that day. Well, it's interesting that all the way through the film, so 90, I don't know, 95% of it is set in the cottage. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are these clips that we see all the way through that are audition tapes. So yeah. it is a reader off camera feeding lines to an actor on camera. And the actors are all the characters that are in the play or in the, uh, in the film. And I thought it was an interesting way of showing why these people are often insecure. Mm-hmm. You know, one uh, woman is told, like, never change your teeth. In, in, in a way that, to me, sounded kind of like a backhanded compliment, yeah. you know, and you can read it on her face. And she was like, I don't know exactly how I feel about this. Uh, and, and all the way through, there's there's uh, a one closeted character mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, his, his, um, his, his lifestyle is, is, is he's not comfortable coming out with it yet because it will hurt him in the acting world and we see that in those audition clips as well and i just thought it was a really interesting way of showing why these people are kind of damaged yeah definitely with um stefano who's the closeted actor seeing you know being in an audition and you know wanting to look more manly or more macho it's a big science fiction action movie they're all auditioning yeah definitely and it's really funny that you mentioned the teeth bit because um there's in real life Sofia Coppola when she met Kirsten Dunst, she told her really? never to change her teeth, and she didn't. But you can see how you yeah. can take that depending on 
depending the on how, how you feel about yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How you could take it as if like, what's wrong with my teeth? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Why do you have to bring that up? Mm -hmm. I get, you know, that would be, yep. that's what I would be saying about exactly. that. So, um, so the, the film is, is, is very funny. Uh, and then it takes a dark twist mm -hmm. and it remains funny after the dark twist, but it's making a point of some sort. Mm -hmm. What do you think that, what would you like people to take away from Nobody Famous? I think, I mean, it's really taking jealousy and envy to the extreme um, and showing what, you know, could happen if you let it take over. Yeah. Um, so I think I just want people to see the film and I think it's very easy to see yourself in a lot of the characters in it and just to be conscious and realize, like, check yourself, you know, with your friends and with, you know, other people who might have found success and you're not there yet. You know, there's kind of, there's going to be a time for it. When one, and this doesn't give anything away. Mm -hmm. One of the characters gets a plum roll because Tatiana Maslany is not available or yeah. something. And <laughs> which I also thought was funny because Tatiana Maslany, she's not a running joke in the film, but her name comes up a lot because mm -hmm. of course she's very successful and these actors all look up to her. So that was a, a funny, nice little yeah. twist in the film. But, uh, she gets it, and everyone has that, oh, that's great kind of attitude yeah. about it. And it's yeah. very, that struck me as being very real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very exaggerated, but there's a lot of reality we tried to ground it in. And the the movie opens uh, on May 25th. You'll be able to see it on all digital platforms on May 29th. And how long did it did you take to shoot? I love because one of the things that I love about this uh, is that when you are making a film that's really character based, um, I love that it's set in a cottage. It is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a couple of outside scenes, but you kept the locations tight, and and it's so smart to do it that way to to. Uh, um, not open it up any more than you needed to. Yeah, it was a very small cast and crew, and we went up to a cottage for nine days. Wow. And we stayed there. We stayed over. Um, everyone slept in the cottage. We left the, all the equipment set up, and we just shot the whole thing, other than the audition scenes, which we shot yeah, yeah. as a pickup afterwards. And uh, how did the actors get along living together you know, sleeping in the same roof, under the same roof and that yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, it's funny. The actors had their own cottage, so uh, <laughs> from what I saw, they got along really well. None of that, oh, yeah. that's great yeah. kind of thing, <laughs> you know, none of that with them? No. Well, the film's called Nobody Famous. Congratulations on it. It's uh, It's a cool movie. Cool Thanks little so film. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about some other stuff. We've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, so a woman in Switzerland accidentally enters her PIN code as a tip at a cafe and ends up tipping $7,700. The cafe then goes out of business and she's having a hard time getting that money back. Now, you know, you, it's probably easy to say, oh, stupid, check your bill. But I often don't look at bills. Once I've, once I've done with it, I, just, I think I know what I've plugged in and you know you, you give it back to them uh it but it's endlessly frustrating that you can't get this money back seven thousand dollars would you admire you worked in restaurants did you have ever have anyone like leave a ridiculous tip that you thought was a mistake or that was a mistake no <laughs> and you know i, I did it once i had it once but i wasn't a great server so <laughs> i don't think that i ever had ridiculous tips <laughs> i had uh I was a bartender primarily, but I was waiting tables when someone didn't show up one day 
and it was on a very busy patio and these these two people came in and they sat at like the farthest table away and it was sort of dark over there and it was it, and I forgot about them completely I got them some wine or whatever and then I forgot about them and then when I remembered they were there I went back and it was just about time for them to have another bottle of wine or whatever another drink so I got them those and promptly forgot about them again and then they asked for the bill and the bill was a hundred bucks. I don't know what it was. And, uh, I gave them the thing, they left it and they walked in and said, good night. Thanks. And I went over and checked and there was $300 in the, in the tab, three $100 bills. And I thought, okay, well they've stuck <laughs> together and stuff. So I chased them down the street. I saw them and I chased them down the street and I said, you've left me too much money. And they said, no, <laughs> you were brilliant. You, you knew that we wanted to be left alone and you left us alone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's what I did. That's exactly wow. what I did. <laughs> but did you find when you when you were a server, I found that even though I did really care about the service and the customers, that after they had paid and they left, I the first thing I looked for was the tip on the table. That it was kind of an obsession. Yeah, it was. I wasn't that obsessed by it, and and for no other reason other than uh, I was. I, I, I bartended, and I think bartending is different than waiting. I think bartender is different than waiting. But um, I bartended in places where you had a lot of regulars. So I knew 80% of the people that came in. And and uh, for me, it was more about building a sense of community. I know this sounds like a little silly, but it was about building a, a sense of community. And one, a community that I wanted to go and spend eight hours in, you know, or whatever, six hours in every night. And and so the tips obviously were important. That's how I was paying the bills at the time. But for me, it wasn't the only thing. If someone was cool and didn't have that much money, they were allowed, you know, they were more than welcome to hang out and, you know, I'd buy them a beer from time to time. Um, we're out of time. That's it. That's all the time we have. Uh, Sarah Rotella director and producer for Nobody Famous. You can see Nobody Famous in theaters on May 25th on all digital platforms on May 29th. Congratulations on it. Thank you. Uh, the Heat, and what's the entire title? Uh, Kitchen Revolution will be playing at a theater near you soon. It will be playing on TVO and then on CBC. Doc Channel. Doc Channel. Uh, and it's a really cool, interesting look. Even if you've never worked in a restaurant. It's a really interesting look at what happens uh, behind that door that you see waiters coming out of with beautiful plates of food. So uh, have a look at that. And then Kyle Bottom's Dungeon Master CD is available on all streaming services, iTunes, uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, everywhere. And then soon you will be able to get his limited edition Dungeon Master collectible card done in the style of Magic the Gathering. That's true. You are the nerd king, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thanks to Mike Catherwood on the board. We'll talk to you next week.